Thanks for listening to the Velocity Church podcast. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Now here's the message. How many of you know there's a pretty crazy world out there, man? It's kind of lost its mind in some ways. Anybody, anybody with me here this morning? So I'm grateful that we have a church, uh, church home where we can come and our, our families and our kids and our kids' kids can learn and love, know more about Jesus, man. That's what it's all about, right? And I couldn't think of a better time uh, for us to dive back into the book of Genesis uh, because all it takes is just uh, for you to turn on your TV to watch the news or maybe to open up social media, uh, your social media app, whatever, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or whatever you go to, to see there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of, a lot of chaos going on out there, a lot of people self-destructing, right? With, and that's what happens with sin, right? That's the effects of sin and what happens. Uh, how many of you know that sin, it affects and infects everything? And, uh, you know, last, this is about last, I guess, March or so, somewhere around that time frame, February, March, we went through uh, the first uh, bit of Genesis. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up somewhat where we left off. And today we're going to actually uh, look at the life of a man many of you have probably heard of or know before. If you grew up in church, you certainly heard of Father Abraham. How many of you know the song? Father Abraham. And many sons, and many, come on, take it, you, you know it, I am one of them, and so are you, let's just praise the right arm, left arm, right foot, y'all know it, all right, you definitely grew up in church, all right, if you know that song, you grew up in church, and here, here's the deal, we're going to look at the life of, uh, we're going to start to look at the life of Abraham today. Many would call Abraham uh, the father of faith. He had faith in God. He's actually listed as one of the heroes of faith. And, uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at, as a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 12. He's got a big chunk uh, from chapter 12 deep into Genesis. is really focused around the life of Abraham. Now today, we're going to know him as Abram. And so please forgive me today if I bounce back and forth between saying Abraham and Abram, because he's first called Abram, and God's later going to change his name to Abraham. And God does that, you know, throughout Scripture. Often we see God will do that in Scripture, and God will change someone's name because our God is a God of second chances. Amen? Amen. And so if I, if I say Abram, say Abraham, same guy. Just like his wife. His wife's name is Sarai, is how you pronounce it. But she's, her name's going to be Sarah. So if we kind of bounce back and forth through the names, just forgive me here today. Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, the same. Um, but I want to, before we dive into, uh, we're going to start in chapter 11 towards the end. We're going to move our way through chapter 12 through the first nine verses today. So if you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis chapter 11. That's where we're going to begin. Um, and before we dive into that, I want to do a quick recap. I want to look back at everything that's happened. I want to bring us back up to speed and where we're at right now. It's been a while since we've been in the book of Genesis. We took a pause on that. And so just really quick, uh, we started in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates everything out of nothing. And the key is this, God needs nothing to do everything. 
That's how big our God is. He doesn't need anything to do something. He creates the heavens and the earth, and then it focuses in on mankind, and God creates man and woman. He creates us distinct and unique, and the Bible says that we're created in his image and likeness, and uh, uses the words, the terms male and female, distinct, different. Now that is, you know, counterculture to the world we live in today, right? There's, there's an agenda and a force out there that wants to fight against that. Uh, but you often see when you read the Bible and you study the Bible, you'll see binary language. If that offends you, we're just getting started today, okay? So <laughs> buckle up. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis. So, uh, so yeah, so male and female created in his image and his likeness. And then really focuses yeah. in on Genesis 3. And uh, that's the moment where sin enters the world where Adam and Eve, they disobey God. They eat of the forbidden fruit. And uh, we've been dealing with that decision ever since. Sin, again, it infects and affects the entire world. And it doesn't take very long to start seeing the effects of sin because right after the fall, what do we see? We see the first murder in human history, right? Cain and Abel kills his brother, and uh, he just wants to live lawless, and then his line ends up being cursed. Uh, And then we move on through some genealogies, and it takes us up to Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, if you pay extra for the alien uh, sci-fi UFO network, is your chapter, okay? Genesis chapter 6, mark that one down. Now, that's the, that's the chapter you're like, in small group, we want to study Genesis chapter 6, please. Please, Genesis 6, we're introduced to the Nephilim, uh, and then, you know, the sons of God, the daughters of man, there's a lot in that. Genesis chapter 6, and essentially what we see is there's just evil everywhere, Evil and wickedness, everyone, the Bible says, is evil and wicked all the time, everywhere. So God says, I'm going to destroy all human life, but a man named Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. What does God instruct Noah to do? To build an ark. And what does Noah do? For 120 years, he builds this ark. And as he's building the ark, he's evangelizing. He's going out and he's trying to reach people. And he's trying to tell them, hey, repent, repent, turn, turn, turn from your ways. There's a flood coming. There's a flood coming. The end is coming. The end is near. And how many people convert? Zero. That makes pastors feel really good. (laughs) Zero. Convert, right? Um, But Noah and his family. And here's the big, big idea in all of this is that tell everybody you know about Jesus, but don't lose sight of leading your family to Jesus, right? Tell everybody you know about Jesus, but prioritize your family. They're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to make a decision. Your family's going to have to make a decision, and we need to lead our families in the way of the Lord. Amen? So we move on. The flood comes, right? Noah gets off the boat, and what's the first thing that he does once Noah gets off the boat? He builds an altar for the Lord. We're going to see something real similar today uh, in the life of Abraham, And then from then, we have more genealogy that leads us to the Tower of Babel. We didn't talk about that too much, but essentially, uh, it's a group of people in Babylonia. They want to try a a one-world government. It's like a picture of globalism, and and, and they basically want to be their own god. So what God does is he confuses their language, and he scatters the people. This leads us up to Abram, Abraham. And that's where we're going to pick up today. And so what we see is time and time and time again is the same pattern, right? God uses someone, he saves them, and then we continue to, as we make external progress, we tend to degress internally. That's, that's the picture that we see. Because what you need to know is this, 
They weren't just cavemen walking around. Contrary to what you might believe or what people have told you, these people, they, they'd make technological advances time and time again. I mean, they had plumbing systems. Uh, they, they were doing things, right? They just weren't walking around just like a bunch of cavemen, right? And so we see external progress, and, and there's, there's kind of a lie in our society, in our world, that if we just keep making external progress and we keep you know, being progressive, eventually all the good within us is just going to lead to even more good, and we're just going to get better as a human race. And that's, that's kind of the big idea and the myth of progressivism. The truth and the fact of the matter is, is that even though you make external progress, and people might make external progress, they often go backwards internally. And so don't take a picture of external progress as, oh, we're getting better. We're getting better. As a matter of fact, you read through Genesis, you see that it only tends to get worse. And when people are, are living within themselves, just more and more wickedness and, and evil happening all the time. And it's just the same thing over and over and over again, time and time again. So that brings us to uh, Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in verse 27. Prior to this, there's a bunch of names. It's Shem's descendants, and it's another genealogy, and it's leading us uh, to Abraham. A lot of people skip over the genealogies in the Bible. They're like, oh, this is boring. This is a bunch of people's names. How many of you have done a 23andMe or a DNA testing? Some? Ancestry testing of some sort? No, maybe some, others. How many of you did that, and you were disappointed when you got the results? You're like, that's not right. <laughs> I was lied to my whole life, right? I was, no, that's not right. 23 and me, you're wrong. Okay, this is, you know, the genealogies and the lines, like, like you might have gotten excited by doing a DNA test. Oh, you know, where am I, you know, where's my heritage, my ancestry? This would have been exciting for them. One thing to note too about the genealogies is that God calls them all by name and it's, you know, Something really simple to think about here this morning, but it's, it's good news and good to know that God, even though people might not know your name, God knows your name and he calls you by name. Amen. God knows you uniquely, distinctly, and he calls you by name. So God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows all the things that you know about yourself, all the things that you don't want anybody else to know. God knows you. He knows you and he loves you. He calls you by name. And that's good news here this morning. And so I want to start chapter 11, verse 27. If you brought your Bibles, um, you can turn there. And we're going to start here talking about um, Abram's family line. And so this is what it says. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. So you've got Terah as Abraham's father, and he's got two brothers, Nahor, Haran. And then Abraham has a nephew named Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. You might want to underline that or note down next to that because that's going to be something that shows up. It's going to be really important here to remember here in just a bit. So Ur of the Chaldeans, I want to stop here for just a moment. The city of Ur was in southern Babylonia, and it would be kind of, if you were to look at the map today, it would be about 180 to 200 miles south of Baghdad. And, uh, you know, the thing about this city is, and we're going to look at this here in just a moment on a little bit more detail, but uh, this was not a Jewish city. Uh, they did not worship Yahweh. As a matter of fact, they worshiped false gods. 
Um, so uh, this was not a place where they would worship Yahweh, the God that we worship, the one true God. They were worshiping false gods, the moon gods called Nora. And uh, as a matter of fact, let's go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, really quick. I want to read this to you so you can see here. Um, Abram started as a pagan Gentile. Maybe you're like, huh? Father of faith, Abram? Abraham? Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. This is what it says. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So, we've got this picture here. Some of you might have been like, man, I thought, I thought Abraham was one of the good guys that got picked. I right? thought he was one of the good guys. He was on the right team. He's actually a 75-year-old man who serves and worships demon gods in a place that is so far from God, so indoctrinated with wickedness, you couldn't even imagine it. And God says, I'm going to use you. Isn't that incredible? That ought to encourage you here this morning. That ought to encourage you here this morning. God can use you for great things, regardless of your past and regardless of your history, regardless of your family line. Amen? Amen. We're going to look at that here today, and I I want us to to focus today also on legacy, because that's a big picture of what's coming here for Abraham and what the promises he's going to get from the Lord. So he doesn't come, so again, he doesn't come from, you know, this rock-solid, God-fearing family, right? He he comes from a family who worships the moon gods, Um. And he's a, he, so he's a pagan Gentile. He's not a Jewish man, right? Here's the picture I want you to see, and I, I want to I continue reading on here, but before I do that, I want to talk about, have you ever had like a, have you ever had like a, um, I don't know, like a chain, like a big chain, and you see the different links in the chains, right? There's, if, in order for them to be linked together and for there to be, be an actual set of chains, you have to have a starting link. And that's kind of the picture of what we see happening here with, uh, with Abraham, is God is going to separate Abram from his past family, and he's going to say, I'm going to start something new through you, Abraham. You're going to be a new link in a new chain, and that link is going to lead to what we know today as, as Israel, right? And so that, that's the beginning, that's the start here. God's going to call Abraham to do what? To go from his country. Genesis chapter 12, this is what it says. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. All right, so right off the bat, God asks him to do what? To leave where he's been, where he's, you know, what he's always known, the culture that he's been in, and to go to a land that I will show you. Many of us, if God told us to do that, what would our response be? Uh... Are you sure? Uh, is that the pizza I ate last night, or is that God talking? Yeah, well, and one thing you need to know, too, is that in Genesis chapter 13, you find out that Abram comes from a very wealthy family, and so he has a thriving business, so it's not like he's just, you know, no, man, he's just picking up and going, it's not a big deal. Like, God's telling him, I want you to leave your father's house, leave your country, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Many of us would go like this. Okay, God, but where are you taking me? 
Where are we going? What's the plan? How many of you are in here, you're like, I'm a planner. I like to plan things. Like, I, that's how I am. Look, my wife, Hadley, she loves a plan. And then she's got backup plans for that plan in case that plan fails, right? Planning, planning, planning. And listen, planning is good, right? Planning is not wrong. It's actually essential. One of the, um, one of the scriptures that comes to my mind is in Proverbs. A wise man will leave an inheritance for his children's children, right? A wise man will leave an inheritance for his children's children. That doesn't just happen with no plan. It's just like, oh, I'm just able to leave an inheritance. No, there's, there's planning involved in that, right? So plans aren't bad. Be willing to drop your plans to pick up his plans. That's the key. Planning is good. Plan, but be willing to let go of your plans to follow his plan. That's what God asks him to do. Uh, God, where are we going? I'm not going to tell you right now. I just want you to trust me. And many of us were like, that's, that's us. Like, God, where are we going? What's going on here? I need the blueprint. Please put it out for me. I want to see every specific detail. God's like, if I showed you every detail, you wouldn't obey. You'd be too intimidated and too scared. So what I'm calling you to do is to take a step in faith and to follow me and trust me before you see the end. And God leads in steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. It's not the leaps, it's steps. And God leads in steps. And so he asks Abram, just follow me and trust me. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land, uh, and your kindred and father's house to the land that I will show you. And he's asking him to leave his father's house, his culture. This is the new link in the chain of faith, right? And I will make of you, here's the promise, a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Remember, his wife is barren. They can't have kids. Abram is 75 years old. All right? You're like, how is that going to happen? Well, you're going to need God. In order for it to happen, you're going to need God. There are some things in life, it's just like, no, you're not going to be able to do this within your own power. You're going to need God to make this happen. Right? Supernatural God. We serve a supernatural God who can override our natural circumstances and our limitations and can just defy all human logic and reasoning and understanding. That's the God you serve. He can show up. He can intervene in any situation. He can override any situation because he's a supernatural God. And that's what's going to need to happen to make this, to make this happen. But here's the promise. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. He says, I will make your name great. The people trying to build the Tower of Babel, they were building it to try to make their name great. And God's like, no, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make your name great. What happens when God's promise contradicts your circumstance? Right? I haven't been able to have kids. My wife, we haven't been able to have kids. We're 75 years old, but God's promised me that he's going to make me a great nation. Have you ever had a situation before where maybe your reality didn't line up with the promise? You have to trust in God. You have to believe in God. It's an act of faith. How do we know Abram, Abraham trusted God? Well, let's, let's keep reading here this morning. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me just make a quick point here. When he says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, what that means is that's a foreshadowing of Jesus is coming through this line. All the families are going to be blessed, Abraham, through your family because I'm sending Jesus, the Messiah, through this line. That's the promise. That's the promise. It echoes the promise back in Genesis after the fall when, when God says uh, it'll, it'll be through the line, the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. It's the same promise that Jesus is coming through that line. I'm going to send my son Jesus. So Abram, what does he do? Went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. That's such a simple statement. But man, there's so much to that. Again, all of the things he could have been thinking, where are we going? What are we doing? God told me, he promised me of something that contradicts my circumstance and my current reality. What am I going to do? Am I going to sit here and wring my hands together and try to figure and try to reason and try to figure this out? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He goes. He obeys. So here, here's the key I want you to see in this today. It's faith. It's an internal conviction. It's something you have faith, you trust, you believe. It's an internal conviction that leads to an external action. Right? So James says, faith without works is dead. So it's an internal conviction, something I believe, but it ought to lead to an external action. So how do we know that Abram trusts God? Because he goes, he leaves. He doesn't just say, I trust you, God, and then, but I'm not going anywhere. Well, you know, he doesn't do that. I trust you, God, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick where I'm at. He doesn't do that. He's like, I trust you, God, and I'm willing to obey and I'm going to leave, right? So that's exactly what he does. And Lot, remember, that's his nephew. As we go through Genesis, you'll see Lot again, and there's some trouble that follows in that. So just remember that. That's his, his, uh, his nephew Lot there. Um, Abram, again, was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, here's something I don't want you to get confused by, because initially when you read this, you're going, Haran, wait, I thought earlier he said Haran was his brother, Haran, Haran. I thought it said earlier that was his brother um, who passed, who died. And it is, right? He had a brother named Haran who died. Then on their way to Canaan originally, before God gives the promise, what happens? Terah, his father, decides to stop in a city called Haran, named after his brother's name. So a lot of people believe that uh, the reason they might have stopped there in Haran was because Terah, Abram's father, that could have been where his roots were from, and that could have led to him actually using the name Haran for his son. That could have been one of the reasons that they didn't go all the way to Canaan the first time, and why they stopped and they settled there. But now we're moving on. Abram has left his father's house, his country, and he's going to Canaan. He's going to the land that God has promised him. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So just for a little context, right, we know and later in Genesis chapter 14, all the people Abram acquired that it's talking about here is approximately 318 men. Whew, yeah. So he was a leader, right? You don't have 318 men following you, uh, Later, if you stay long enough, uh, you're going to learn a little something about uh, circumcision that comes into play, and all 318 men are going to follow in, uh, Abram's lead in that, preparing you for a later sermon. So, um, so he took his Sarah, his wife, and Lot, uh, his brother's son, 
and all their possessions they had gathered and the people they had acquired and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So this is, again, this is not just, you know, a few people. This is a big move, right? A lot, lot of stuff going on here. Um, a lot of people might maybe asking questions, right? Where are we going? What are we doing? What's the plan, Abram? What's the plan, sir? Where are we going? And, and he stays faithful. He stays obedient. And he does it. And he leads well. Now, is Abram going to lead perfect? No. That's the beauty of this also, is that Abram is not a perfect guy. He's the father of faith, but you're going to see pretty quick as we continue to go through Genesis chapter 12 that later on, and this will be in a later message, he literally is on his way to Egypt and uh, he tells his wife, Pharaoh's going to think you're so beautiful that they're going to kill me. So this is what, this is what he tells his wife. So uh, they're going to kill me. So tell them you're my sister so that it will go well with me and then go live with him. Ladies, how many of you would be okay with that? <laughs> Just go live with this, this old nasty Pharaoh, right? So it'll be well with me, right? So by no means is Abram perfect, but God is faithful and God continues to use Abram. They set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Those were wicked, evil people. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So there's the promise again. God is, God is continuously he's promising Abram. He's taking one step. Then he's taking another. He gets to the land of Canaan and God tells and speaks to him. Isn't it great that God speaks? Isn't it great God speaks to his children? He loves us enough to, to speak to us, to talk to us, to lead us, and to guide us. I mean, Abram, he's in tune. Now, here, here's the question. At this point, remember his whole culture, his whole background. How much does Abram really know about Yahweh? Not that much, very little. He doesn't know that much about God. How much does he obey? A whole lot. Now, on the other side of that, today, how much do we know about God? We know a lot. We've got the whole New Testament. I mean, Jesus has come. He has laid his life down. He's resurrected, right? And he's atoned for our sins. I mean, we've got all the way to Revelation. We know a lot. How often do we obey? And that's the question we've got to ask ourselves today. He knew very little. He obeyed a lot. We tend to know a lot and not obey as much. And the big idea and the point is this. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you obey that which you know. It's about how much you obey what you do know. So it's not all about, I got all this Bible knowledge. Well, how much do you obey all that knowledge? Right? So it's, it's, it's a picture of obedience. Abram, he obeys God. He, he's obedient. Even though he doesn't know everything, he's like, I don't know the end from the beginning, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust him. I'm going to obey him. <clears throat> he passed through the place of Shechem to the oak of Morah. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared and said to your offspring, I will give this land. Here's the promise, Abram. This is the place. This is the place. This is what I've been promising. You've taken all these men, you've taken all your possessions, you've moved, you've walked in faith. You're finally in the place that I want to take you. This is the land. And I love Abram's response. 
What is his response? It says, So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negev. What does Abram do when he gets to his destination? He worships God. He builds an altar and he worships God. In our culture today, there is a serious lack in reverence for God and the things of God. Used to, and I mean, I, you know, I'm 31 years old, right? But I remember as a kid going to church and different things like that. And there, there was just a reverence for the things of God. And, I, you know, I'm so grateful that, that, that we talk about this here at Velocity and, and still talk about just reverencing God. Because a lot of places, man, have, have really like kind of let that go away, like reverencing who God is. Ab- Abram, he builds an altar, he worships the Lord, and he's leading his family. He's leading these 318 men saying what? Hey, there's other things going on. The Canaanites are here. They get, they're worshiping their gods. But guess what? We're going to set up shop. We're going to worship our God. Our God needs to be worshiped here in this land. We're, and it's a picture of him leading. He's leading and he's leading in his family. And this is a picture for all, all of us today. So many people too in life want a big change. Like, God, I'm looking for a change in life. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's a situation. I'm looking for for some kind of change, God, I need, I need. And, and people are looking for a pivot. Maybe, maybe it's looking for a change in a move. Uh, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a change in, in a new job. Like once I get that new job, things are going to be good, right? Once I start making that kind of money, things are going to be good. Once I get that car or that house, you know, things are going to be good. Once we get done with counseling, things are going to be good. And those things are fine. But your life won't change unless you build an altar and saturate your life in worshiping Jesus. So we're trying to make all these changes, you know, externally. If we're not at the center of it, if it's not all about Jesus and worshiping him and building an altar for your family to worship God, your life won't really change. Things around you might change, but your life's not going to change. Where breakthrough happens, where true breakthrough happens, it's worship. It's in worship. It's in worshiping our God. One of the things that we were doing this week as a family, and I put something out there about it on loop because what we started doing as a family is we just said, you know what, as I was just studying this and reading this, I just said, you know what we're going to start doing, guys? Every night we're going to go in the dining room, okay? That's like our little spot. We're going to sit around the dining room table, and I want everybody, I want all the kids, I'm like, Arden, you pray for this, uh, you know, Judah, what do you want? You know, Judah, he's still trying to work on his speech, but I'm like, hey, what do you want to pray for? Talking to him. And, you know, even little sailor, we're trying to get them all involved in it. Hadley's going to pray for this. I'm going to pray for this. And let's do that as a family. And it's a picture of just, this is like our little spot. That's like, this is like our little worship spot in the house. Okay. We're going to gather together. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to make it a priority. We're going to be intentional about this. We're going to lead our kids, man, in this screwed up, jacked up world. I'm going to make sure my kids are getting around the dining room table with mom and dad. And we're talking about the things of God every night. right. So, so what are we doing? What do you, and I asked Art and I said, what do you want to pray for? And she told me something about a math thing that she's having trouble with at school. I was like, okay, great. We'll pray for that. We go around, we start praying. And then uh, Wednesday, we're like, you know what we need to do tonight? Let's just pray for our church family. And so I go around and ask Arden, 
who, who do you want to pray for at church? Who do you want to pray for? Just whatever. She picked a name, uh, you know, picked a couple names. It's like, okay, you pray for them. We're going to pray for them, and we're just going to do this together as a family. I'll pray for this. And it's just that intentionality, and God was speaking this to me, of being intentional about doing this and, and leading and leading the family and um, building an altar to worship the Lord. We're looking for change in life, looking for a breakthrough. Man, those things are great, but they're only going to happen if we're saturating our lives and worshiping Jesus. And that's not just reserved for a Sunday morning. It's, uh, it's, it's out there, right? It's not just about a place. It's the people. So wherever we're gathered, and so it might be in your living room with your kids and your family, or, you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's in the car, man, or, or maybe it is around the dining room table or somewhere, but just being intentional about, I want to get in the presence of God I, wanna, I want my kids to get in the presence of God. And here, here's the beauty of it. What I noticed after like the second night, right, the kids started getting a little restless. Said, huh, calm down. We're doing this. But God's not looking for perfection. He's looking at the heart. So don't try to make a perfect scenario. You'll be fighting it all night trying to get a perfect scenario. All right, we couldn't pray tonight because they wouldn't be quiet. Well, you're never going to because they're never going to be quiet, okay? You got to pray through it. You just got to do it. You just got to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? We are going to serve the Lord. This is what we're going to do. And the world is very excited about indoctrinating our kids. So we need to make it a point to say, oh, no, that's not right. Not for me and my house. Like, we're going to stand on the truth, what God's word says, and that's what we are to do. That's what we're called to do. It's not just in the big cities. Guys, y'all know that, right? It happens everywhere, like here in Brenham too. There are people in this community, it's a small town, uh, people a lot of times think of Brenham, oh, so small town, conservative values, lots of churches, church around every corner. Let me tell you something, there are people who are broken, who are lost, who need to know the love of God. There are people in this community who would say, oh, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but they're still, their eyes are like covered by, by, by lies, by Satan's lies. And it's still going, it's not like this is just like, oh, the big cities are evil and everything's good around here. Like there's people here who need to know Jesus. There are broken, hurting, lost people, right? And so we, we as the church, we can go out and we can speak truth. We can love people, right? One of the most loving things you can do is do what? To be truthful with somebody. One of the most unloving things we can do is to not be truthful and to just sit back like, eh, be passive in our faith. You look at Genesis, I mean, who is passive? Adam. Satan's whispering in his wife's ear, and he's sitting on the couch eating potato chips. He's not moving. So Eve's like, well, if he's not going to be active, then I guess I will, and I'll do something. Then she eats the apple, or whatever the fruit is. I call it the apple. Uh, she eats... <laughs> She eats the apple, the fruit, whatever, right? And, 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 and where's Adam at? He's like, oh, he's chilling over here, not doing anything about it. He's just sitting to the side, right? The well, same thing goes on today. Like, where, where's the man at? Where's the husband leading? Where, where's he at, right? It's the same, the same thing happening today. Statistics will show you, if you look at statistics in church attendance, predominantly, it's women and children, Right? Predominantly, it's women and children. In a lot of ways, um, you know, you see, you see the moms bringing the kids to church. And where, where's dad? He's at home, right? He's at home. 
It's very rare you see the dad bringing the kids to church. Where's mom? She's at home. That sometimes happens, but statistically, like that's just not often what happens. Because Satan knows that if he can keep dad on the couch, then he can infiltrate and get in the family. He can indoctrinate. He can do things. That's why husbands were called to lead. That doesn't mean we're the boss. It means we're responsible. Right? Like, I'm the boss. No, you're responsible. That's what that means. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm the... It's my way. I've heard people say, like, growing up in church, I remember hearing circles and, and hearing men just like, oh, the Bible says I'm the boss. That's not what it says. <laughs> you're both created in the image of God, in his image, in his likeness, equal but distinct. Right? And so, uh, and so we, we, we need to build a place, have a place leading our families, building an altar, building an altar before the Lord. And I would just ask you today, um, when's the last time you've just, you've just worshiped God? And I don't mean you, you got to come up here and sing Hillsong, you know, at your house. When's the last time you just set aside time just like, God, I love you. I worship you. I thank you. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my kids. Uh, thank you for all the things that you've given me. Thank you for your blessings, your continued blessings in my life. And I would just encourage you to extend that with the family with your wife, right? With your husband. Uh, if you have kids, with your kids, like with your children. And, and, and to do that together and to be intentional about it and worshiping the Lord. So I promise, like, like Abraham is called, God's got a calling on your life. Abraham is called by God. You have a calling. You're here on purpose for a purpose. And so if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to lead us in a prayer here this morning. Father, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for this your word, God, your word is so good, Lord. I thank you that no matter what goes on in the world around us, no matter what people do, God, we know that the battle is not in the flesh, but it's in the spirit, God. God, I thank you that uh, we have a church who, who reverence, has reverence for you, God, knows you are the true God. You are more than worthy of our worship, God. I thank you, God. I thank you today, Lord, that you'd open our minds, you'd open our hearts, that we'd continue to live our lives following you, God, even when we don't have the whole blueprint, when we don't have everything lined out, when we don't know the end, God, we trust you in each step. And it's a decision we make, God. I thank you. We, we choose to trust you, trust you in this season. I'm going to trust you in the next. We're going to trust you in the next, in the next. And I just feel led, too, to just say, God, I thank you for our church. God, I thank you for this, this body of people here, God that we are blessed to have and to be with. I thank you that no matter how crazy the world gets, God, we have a church of people, Lord. I thank you for all the progress we've made, God, and moving forward on our church property, Lord. I just feel led to say that. Thank you for leading in every step of the way and opening doors that, uh, that no man can shut, God. I thank you you would continue to do that, Lord. I thank you for sending people here, Father, uh, to help lead the way in that and lead the charge, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We just ask, Lord, that you would continue to meet us where we're at, no matter where we're at. If we're at a baseball game, we're at our house. God, that we, we're going to be attentive. We're going to listen for your voice. We're going to listen for your calling, Lord. And we are going to, like Abraham, we're going to be obedient and following your voice, following your calling for our lives. Praise you. We love you. It's in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Thanks for listening today. To stay connected, visit us online at velocityburnham.org and follow us on Instagram. And if you're ever in the Burnham area, we'd love to have you visit us on a weekend. 
Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.